Welcome to the journey of an esthete, a comprehensive examination of all things aesthetic, the arts, the humanities, and what it means to be human. It's Mitch Hampton from Journey of an Esthete Podcast. Hi, how are you? How are you doing? It's great to have you on our show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm going to do a little little blurb in front, which I always do, just to just to make it a little more uh, structured and and say, you know, I have many many kinds of guests on on my show. Um, some are people I know personally. Some are people I've never met. Um, and then occasionally. Um, sometimes my guests contact me, and in, in your case, uh, you contacted me on the FB, also known. I did. Also known as Facebook. I like to call it the FB, but and you <laughs> really, I'm really happy you did because uh, it, initially I um, 
only knew about you as a music therapist. And I thought, well, that's good because we've never had a music therapist on our show. So this would be the first time mm-hmm. we've had a show on that topic. But then, of course, I began exploring and saw Anastasia Rose. You're a, you're a folk singer and you play ukulele and write songs and guitar and all these songs. And you do you gigging musician. And, and I was just very impressed. And I thought, well, this is really is a lot to talk about. And uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought, you know, I guess uh, since you've done so much in music and, and helping people and, and therapy, um, I guess we can start from the beginning or early on how you came to have the talents you have and in a little bit, little bit of bio, if you don't mind getting into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I um, was really fortunate to have a very creative mother. Um, she was a visual artist. She played piano um, as kind of a hobby, but um, from a very young age, she uh, she started teaching me kind of some some basic piano. And um, I like to say that I was um, playing the piano before I could walk, and I was oh. singing before I could talk. <laughs> and um, phrase, if you don't mind me interjecting a little bit, so you so w- when you say before you could talk, you mean like a toddler or earlier or what, what we, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. And you were playing yeah. melodies or thing, is it because you had really good relative pitch or were picking out songs? Or? Oh, just, I mean, you know, we're, we're all musical children to some, to some extent. And so, um, I mean that in that I was just always drawn to music and I was always, um, you know, babbling and sort of singing in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily in a virtuosic way, but there was definitely a, um, a connection there. And, uh, yeah, I remember just walking around the house and making little, making up little songs, like as a child, like one of my earliest memories is just making up songs about random things that I was seeing in the house. (laughs) And, um, so that's always, I've never known a time without, um, music being a central part of my life. Um, I started formal piano lessons when I was in elementary school, um, probably like seven or eight years old. And then, um, I joined band in middle school. I just couldn't get enough music in my life. That was, um, constantly what I was doing. I was in musicals in high school. Um, may I ask what music musicals you, you performed in just of any titles that, uh, um, so the, the, the one that, um, I was in in high school was, uh, just kind of a conglomeration of a bunch of different musicals, Andy Get Your Gun, um, uh, Little Shop of Horrors, um, it kind of highlights from a lot of different so musicals. You, like, um, you. So what did you do, Annie? Did you get to perform Annie or did you do another character? No. Um, what did I do? Actually, that's a great question. I haven't thought about this when, in a long time. Get Your Gun is such um, a great, great show. And as you know, Ethel Merman was the, was the star who put that on the map, that show on the map back in the 40s or 50s. So, um, But it sounds like you did a lot of different shows then. Um, well, they were all – it was a – it was like a variety sort of um, thing, but um, in college I studied music and uh, piano is my primary. Okay. Um, I got my mas- my uh, bachelor's and my first master's degree in music. My first master's degree is actually specifically in neurologic music therapy. Interesting. Um, 
And uh, my second master's degree is in mental health counseling. So I integrate those um, those uh, parts of my expertise. Uh-huh. Um, and I work, uh, I own a private practice. Yeah, I, I as well as performing. That. I wanted to uh, mention that because uh, you have such a great website. Um, is this is this um, practice the uh, what's the name? It has it has a specific name? It's in Colorado. Creative. Yes, it is called Creative Remedies. Creative Remedies, and this is your your mm-hmm. your, your, your creation, your business. Yep. Yep. Um, so yep. I, My business. That's amazing. So, if, if you don't mind going back a little bit, you're doing piano uh, and getting two masters. But what was some, mm-hmm. I'm just very curious, how did you become interested in, you know, psychology, mental health, neurodivergence, these kinds of things? When did that occur, start to occur? What was that? Was that around the same time as the music or um, piano it was a little bit after? Or? Um, you know, growing up, uh, I mean, I would say it was probably after, but um, when I was in in high school, um, I thought I was going to study music education. Um, I thought I was going to be a band director or a music teacher of some sort, um, which I also do that, but on kind of in a different, um, different than what I expected at that point in time. And so um, I was always really interested in how people, like what, what made people tick. Absolutely. How people work. Um, and I knew that music had a profound impact on me. Um, because anytime, you know, as an angsty teen, as we all were at some point in in our lives, um, you know, music, uh, you know, it sounds kind of cliche, but it felt like music was the only thing that understood me at certain points in my life. Mm -hmm. And the only, um, the only outlet that could really, um, really speak to where I was at emotionally. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the same for a number of my friends. I grew up in a kind of a rural area. So there were some um, lower income families and things like that. And so some of my friends, music was pretty much all that they had. And so um, it, was a, it was a protective factor. It was a saving grace for them. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I was also, I read a lot. Um, I'm kind of a bookworm in that way. And so I really got into like reading, um, memoirs, Uh particularly around like mental illness and addiction and, um, and neurodiversity and stuff in high school too, which, um, I started to notice a correlation of, um, a lot of the memoirs mentioned music being helpful, um, in people's, um, people's lives. And it was an important outlet for them. Um, I, I learned about music therapy, um, I guess a little bit before undergrad, but there was a music therapy program where I did my undergrad and I decided that, um, I'd study that to, uh, kind of integrate all of these interests that I had and I knew that I wanted to be really connected to people. I was mm-hmm. teaching horn, um, horn for, that's a, that's a tough instrument to be playing and teaching. That's very accomplished. You know, the horn, <laughs> you don't need me to tell you is a big difference between horn and, and some other things. So you were teaching horn. Um, yeah. 
yeah, I was a um, I was a horn instructor for a few different high schools in the North Texas area um, huh. around where I grew up. And there was one student I had in particular, I think that this was really kind of a shift um, from like my performing and teaching to like, okay, I need to do more with people. Um, this, uh-huh. this young woman um, just was having, was struggling with a lot of family things, um, was even cutting a little bit um, like on, on her skin and stuff. And, um, we stopped our horn lesson and just, just sat and talked for a little while. She started crying. Uh-huh. And I, at that point, I I was not trained. It was, looking back, probably not the most, <laughs> um, the the best idea. But um, I, I had noticed that there was just a different sort of relationship that we had. And I, and I think it, I attribute that to music and the sure. vulnerability that it takes. Sure. to learn music too. So, you, so you, um, and what you're saying is this one lesson with one particular person mm-hmm. in high school planted a seed in your mind of maybe doing other careers involving actual therapy or psychology. You're saying that that, that had an influence on the decision-making or, or on that, in that yeah. experience? Yeah. So that's, mm-hmm. that's what I was, um, that's what I was doing whenever I was getting my bachelor's degrees. I was teaching at a, a number of different, high schools and yeah that was a really memorable and um uh really important moment that i think put me on a different track interesting i mean i'm very taken with your versatility and eclecticism i'm very eclectic myself but not you take it to the i mean french horn and guitar and writing songs and uh, like the song cosmic love uh, mm-hmm. which I hope to introduce our episode with if 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 that's permitted. Um it's a really yeah, absolutely. really good song and a really traditional catchy lyric. That seems to me a far that seems to me at first ear or first blush far away from doing talking about the French Hummel French or French horn Mozart uh concerto. It seems like a very different a very different world of music and yet you seem to be doing all these things and I guess I'm wondering um about that journey from doing more sort of classical or band music into more folk and singing and singer songwriter, was it, were the two things, things you were always doing or was it just a journey or you decided you want to do something different? That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the, the answer is kind of multifaceted. I've, I've always had a, a wide music um, uh, I've, I've always listened to a wide variety of music. Okay. And so, um, and I grew up in North Texas, so folk and all of that is very, you know, that's very much the <laughs> style that I'm very familiar with in that area. Um, and as I studied music therapy, um, one of the, some of the, the education, um, that music therapists get is um, learning guitar, learning ukulele, singing, um, playing the piano, and using that in a functional way to um, yeah. to help people address their whatever needs they have, um, or to build on strengths that they have too, not necessarily focusing on needs. Um, and so, the live music experience is really important in music therapy. So um, that 
was that was kind of what started that. Um, I mean, I took some, I took guitar classes in undergrad and I took percussion classes and other things in undergrad, just studying music. Um, and I, yeah, had fun writing songs, but then, um, started to take it a little bit more seriously as I became a music therapist. Um, and realized like, this is also my own, um, like therapeutic experience in a way too. And so that's whenever I recorded Cosmic Love and some of the other things that I've released, um, all around. I mean, I can, like I said, growing up, I could never get enough of music and that's still the same (laughs) now. Um, I am always looking to, to learn new instruments, to try new things. I, um, yeah, so um, any sort of songwriting and composition um, challenges that I can take on, I will. Mm-hmm. Well, I see in, in some and on your really good website. I, I recommend people go to your website because it has a lot of it's really well done and there's a lot of um, material on it. I see that you're playing a guitar, electric keyboard. <laughs> That's correct. Like wow. <laughs> so you do you really uh, are using all of your skills or all of your. Um, uh, your musical skills uh, as much as you can across the board. Yes, yes, oh. absolutely. I play in a, a few other um, projects too, and actually the guitar I mainly play with a ska punk band, a punk rock okay. sort of <laughs> project huh. called Then I Fly. Then I Fly. Then I Fly, yeah. Okay, so you're... Going back to that student who I who you seem to help or I uh, seem to be awakening something in you. What was the next step after that? What did uh, you reading memoirs? What were some of the memoirs you read that um, were powerful at that time? Or that you sort of the literature part of it, or the prose part of it. You're reading memoirs. Oh wow! Um, I haven't thought about this in a little while. Um, one was um, called Get Me Out of Here. Uh-huh. Um, that was um, the story of a woman who has borderline personality disorder and mm-hmm. kind of her journey with that. Um, there was one called Stick Figure about anorexia um, and also the, Stick- the writers in our world. I've read Stick Figures. That's a really good book. Mm-hmm. It's won a few awards, and uh, yeah, um, let's see, kitchen doorknobs. Not about um, obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot there. Yeah, yeah, those are the ones that yeah. that stand out. But there were there were plenty more. Um, you know, I've I've listened to a lot of. Uh, so I went to Colorado State University for my first master's degree in Temple Grandin. Um, teaches there. She's wow. autistic, and so um, yeah, I've heard her speak numerous times. And so even though I haven't actually read any of her books, but um, she's been. Uh, she actually has been involved in the music therapy department at Colorado State University too. Um, well, you know, I, I'm so autistic. That's also I, I identify as autistic. 
don't really? Know, yes, and I don't know if you knew that. I thought, and I initially thought when I discovered you were involved with neurodivergence, I thought that was the, one of the reasons you contacted me. But I don't, I don't, um, I got, I, I, I received my diagnosis at the at the late age of forty nine, fifty years old. Wow! Not knowing any, not even thinking about it in any serious way for fifty years, really. Just living my mm-hmm. life, and it's interesting. And, and the, the term neurodivergence is a fairly recent one, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you don't mind talking about that word and what it means and how it differs from other approaches to autism, or or is that too much off topic? Or do you want to? There's a lot to talk. No, about. I just thought I would. I would. Yeah, uh, that's uh, great. Um, yeah, the so how I explain neurodiversity um, to people in my life as well as my own clients is that there's neurodiversity is the other end of the spectrum from the medical model. So the medical model is looking at any sort of difference, not just autism, not just um, ADHD, which I actually, I have ADHD um, combination ADHD and so um, I'm a little bit in that world, too. Mm-hmm. The medical model looks at where is the deficit? How do, we, how do we change the deficit? How do we make someone more, quote, unquote, normal? Mm-hmm. How do we help someone function in a, quote, unquote, normal society? Rather than um, the neurodiversity model, which looks at um, just the difference in brain structure and the difference in brain function and the the benefits that can exist. There's a really great book called called Neurodiversity, actually, um, by Thomas Armstrong, mm-hmm. who um, he's done lots and lots of um, research in neurodiversity. And this particular book, each chapter is about a different um, a different neurodivergent experience. So autism, ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, um, and makes a case for throughout human history, each of these experiences, these neurodivergent experiences served the um, greater good of whatever um, community that person was in or whatever tribe or whatever. Um, For example, um, what connects to me um, having ADHD myself is that the ADHDers were the ones who were like the lookout. You know, we like were the ones um, kind of overseeing and watching out for the um, for the community as a whole because we get mm-hmm. we you know notice little little things, notice little changes. Um, really, like can um, you know the, the shiny object kind of idea, but like using that to protect the community, for example. Um, And so neurodiversity movements look to um, see the internal world and the perspective of the person who's neurodivergent and the benefits that that person brings to the society as a whole by just simply having a different neurology rather than someone or something that needs to be fixed or changed or mm-hmm. um, molded to be, quote, normal. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you being on our show because our show reflects many points of view and certainly many we've had many kind of artists on our show uh, of the broadest spectrum of, of mediums and styles and instruments and 
So it's great to hear you discuss neurodiversity. Um, since it is a relatively recent concept, I think, right? It's not, it's not, um, mm-hmm. um, what do you, how, how does that uh, concept or that, um, I should say reality interact with your music making and your, in your, I'm sure it plays a role. And so. Absolutely. I'm wondering um, what the relationship is like for you. Yeah. Um, for me personally, I think part of the reason why I play so many different instruments is because of my ADHD. I'm always looking, I'm always looking for the new, you know, <laughs> the new shiny thing. And, um, I, I can hyper-focus, um, but I, what I tend to do is, is get really, really into one instrument for a little while, um, or one genre of music or one piece or whatever, for a while, a few weeks, and then um, and then I shift to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've I've found that just being in in music in general um, keeps my uh, honestly keeps my emotions regulated. Interesting, which is an yeah. which is an aspect of my um, ADHD experience. It's just yeah. struggling with emotional regulation. But um, the way that I do that is sort of by switching different instruments and stuff. Um, I think that also kind of comes out in my songwriting too, in that, um, there's, uh, I was actually on tour last week with my band Occam's Rose. And one of the things that a band that we played with said is that, um, our, our music has movements. (laughs) And I think what they meant is that, um, there's just really starkly different sections to each of each of our songs, um, which I attribute that to like, um, like just getting bored with a song that sounds the same all the way through and having a craving to like throw in a random horn solo or throw in a random trumpet solo or throw in, um, you know, something that just in the moment, um, kind of impulsively, (laughs) I decide, uh, Hey, this, might be a fun idea. Let's try this. Um, and it sometimes works, sometimes doesn't in the, I mean, in those it, cases, to, I think it does. To, to me, it seems the most logical thing in the world. I mean, to me, that, to me, that's one of the definitions of good music. You know, all, all good music, or great music has development. And so mm-hmm. how much do you think that that aspect of music just comes from just innate musical sense or your own musical education that music has to have development and not be the same thing if you have a, different sections and that seems very natural to me. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly could be in an intersection of a number of different things. It's, um, yeah, it's definitely hard to say because yeah, music has been a part of my life forever and I've been a consumer as well as a producer of music forever. <laughs> so I'm not sure where that really comes from entirely. Everybody needs an anchor in life. You, me, just everybody. Anchor made this whole show possible. I'm immensely grateful to them. You too can use Anchor to make your own shows and create your own vision. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeah. Is Regina Spector a big influence? Yeah, actually. <laughs> I hear a lot of um, you're saying, actually, a little bit. 
Really? Oh, yes. Very That's a huge so. compliment. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> very much so. Um, Thank you. It's interesting that you use, you use guitar, acoustic guitar. How much of you talked about growing up in a rural environment? I grew up in in, in the big in big cities, and I know next to nothing about rural life. Um, how much of how much difference does that make? It makes a lot, right? I would under, understand. Is there a difference in musical? Um, it's something I don't really know a lot about. What do you um, think about, say, Texas or Denver or places like that? Yeah. Um, I live in a completely different area than, um, like in, in almost in every way than where I grew up. Um, I grew up, yeah, in a, in a very, yeah, rural, small town, Texas, like the, technically where I grew up didn't even have a zip code. We used the next town over zip code cause it was so, um, so small, um, but and now I live in one of the largest suburbs of Denver, um, and so um, I was I was fortunate in that um, where I grew up, uh, my parents um, moved out there because they could, not because they had to. There were a lot of people who they could not afford to live anywhere rather than a rural area, and I think that definitely shaped. Um, shaped my um empathy in a lot of ways seeing um seeing like real poverty but not having necessarily to experience it because my family didn't um was again they they chose to move that far away from um from the city and from civilization as a whole um but uh it i think has kind of integrated into my songwriting and um, not so much some of the songs that I've already released, but songs that are in the works right now, talking about wage disparity and talking about um, just disparity across a number of different intersections of um, race, ability, neurodiversity, um, and the area that I grew up in being, seeing people who, um, who, yeah, could not afford to literally could not afford to live anywhere else, um, was very humbling. Yeah. Well, you know, the affordability is a, is a class issue and and it certainly has to do with things like wages and salaries and um, mm-hmm. We live in a profoundly uh, unequal society in way in ways greater than we sometimes want to tell ourselves, and certainly that's going to play a role um, in, in subject matter of art, certainly in lyrics and music. How, mm-hmm. how do you feel living in a place like Denver after being in rural? What, what is your feeling about that? I've never been to Denver; I know nothing about it. But um, <laughs> um, what? Uh, Colorado to, um, how do you, how do you feel living, living there? Do you, the differences or the similarities or. Yeah. Um, so I moved to Colorado in 2013 to pursue my first master's degree. And, um, 
it was, I, I knew basically no one, um, aside from, I, I moved here, um, and had a partner who already lived here. Mm-hmm. So the only people that I knew were the people that he knew. Okay. Um, and so in a, in a lot of ways I got to sort of check in and reinvent myself. Um, got to be who I chose to be rather than like what I had grown up as, um, or like what, you know, the associations that other people had of me. But I, I think that's pretty similar for people who just move anywhere in general. You can, um, you know, it's an opportunity to just sort of start over in a way, yeah. not necessarily that I needed to, but, um, just the, um, kind of freedom and liberation that, and also, you know, fear and anxiety sure. that evokes. Um, but, uh, so I initially moved to Fort Collins actually, so it's, um, smaller than Denver and that was a little bit easier of a, of a transition. Um, it was about the same size as the college town that I had done my undergrad in, in Denton, Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was a fairly similar, like that, that transition was not bad aside from just not knowing anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, then moving to Denver, that was. That was big. <laughs> yeah. um, I really love the music scene here. I think that's what stands out to me the most is um, just there's always a show happening or there's always a venue that's looking for um, artists to play. Well, that's um, I mean, that one thing. That's the most positive thing. I mean, that's the, mm-hmm. as you, you know, I'm, I'm a pianist composer, finding places to play. That's really important. I was astonished to hear you say you just completed a tour. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so especially after the pandemic, talk, talk about that process of actually touring. What is, um, talk a little bit about that, doing that and the logistics of that. Cause that's, that's, um, that's quite an accomplishment given everything going on. Right. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is. Um, it was, you know, sort of, sort of conflicting in that, um, with one of my other bands, we actually had a, a tour planned out in 2020. And of course we all know how all of that went down. We ended up canceling everything, actually just all of the stuff that, um, we had planned that year changed. Um, but it was still something that I was like, I, I need to do this. I need to get it on the road. And, um, I had toured with, uh, I marched drum corps um, in my late teens, early 20s. And um, while that's a very different sort of touring situation and circuit and stuff than, um, you know, kind of an independent band, yeah. it uh, it still was like, you know, you get, you get to just being on the road and getting to perform in a bunch of different places and stuff. Yeah. It's like a hugely, um, you know, once, once you've had a taste of it, you – like you crave it. And so I, uh, I knew I needed to get on the road again with at, at least one of my projects. And so, um, earlier this year I was picking up some steam because, um, while the punk rock band was facing some, some difficulties for a number of different reasons, um, particularly surrounding the pandemic, my solo music was really picking up because that was much safer for venues to take on. Um, 
Now, when you say and, music, is that sort of like the material, like Cosmic Love with more guitar or spare, spare, right. smaller? I mean, because yeah. that's the stuff I know best of you, and I think it's really terrific. Um, but Thank I, you. But I, um, it's interesting to think of you doing these all other styles of music. It makes me want to listen to everything. I'm sorry I wasn't able to, 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 to investigate all of it before the show, but you know, that's okay. I do, I do what I can, but, um, but, um, so you, you, you find yourself doing more solo type material now or shows or is it? Well, I was, yeah. Um, and so I, I had actually asked, um, one of my friends who's now playing drums and another, the punk rock project to, um, to sit in, um, and we, ended up developing a duo out of that. Um, so that's been, we decided, you know, this is, this is going really well. And the venues are similarly to like the solo, solo stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. venues are much more, um, open to having a solo or a duo come and play. Um, Mm -hmm. because that's easier to, um, to kind of keep, keep people safer rather than like a full band and um, it's cheaper for them. There's a number of different reasons. And so Mm -hmm. um, this summer I was like, well, this is going well. I know a lot of places in Texas. um, I grew up there. Would you want to do a mini tour? And so we did, we embarked uh, a couple weeks ago on a week long week ish, 10 day ish um, tour in North Texas performing in a couple of different places in Dallas and Denton, um, uh, Richardson. And then we, um, did an interview for the Dallas music network as well. Yeah. Well, it's great. You're able to do that and sort of find, find a way to forge and do your music. That's, you know, doing a, a tour. That's really great. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely a strange time to be, um, to be doing those things. Yeah. I mean, you know, of course, masking up, you know, yeah. um, in Denver, all of the venues are requiring, um, vaccine cards, mm-hmm. um, or a recent negative test. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I, I feel like, yeah, we need to be safe and we need to be aware and we need to do what we can. Um, but at the same time, we also need to live our lives because our mental health matters too. Yeah. And um, just sitting sitting in fear is not good for us. <laughs> right, right, sure. It's interesting because I, um, uh, you know, uh, we're living in such extraordinary times and yet others, um, it strikes me, if I, if you don't mind me putting it this way, that there's also opportunities to do new things. Yeah. To try new mm-hmm. things. So what do you think about that in terms of the, the um, opportunity aspect or try to reimagine things differently, like politically? Or uh, do you have any thoughts about that or reasons about that? Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of the – a lot of the music, um, well, all of the music projects that I'm in would look completely different right now had it not been for the pandemic. Um, part of half of the um, the members in Then I Fly quit actually in 2020, and so we have um, a two 
two new members that um, now are have brought completely different dynamics to that band. Um, this this duo, I never had any plans for starting this duo that just went on tour, um, but we're we're doing really well there, and we're actually going on another tour in a short weekend tour in February. We're playing at a Hot Springs in Durango for a whole weekend. Okay. And but nothing that I ever like thought would be would happen. Um, but at the same time, also on a like political or global level, I think that the disparity that we kind of alluded to earlier has become more apparent mm-hmm. um, during this time, and the opportunities for activism have increased, and the opportunities to um, radicalize people um in a good way has has increased well that's good that's good that's a that's another positive uh positive um uh opportunity yeah of course i i I say that admitting my bias that i am a radical politically but you know (laughs) you know one person's radical maybe another person's common sense right so sure that's true that's true (laughs) You know, I I think that the lockdown last year offered a lot of people the opportunity to to take in um, more knowledge and maybe more media or whatever than um, we would have otherwise. Mm -hmm. And that influenced a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests that that were um, so so common and so big last summer. And I really think that had the lockdown not happened, um, there just would not be as much opportunity for people to recognize um, George Floyd and recognize the, the, um, uh, the importance of um, organizing mm-hmm. to, um, to bring, to, to shed light on these issues. And so it's an interesting thing, you know, like none of us, I, I, I don't think anyone would be happy about the pandemic or be happy about COVID, but the things that have come out of it, I think there are some really positive silver linings in um, that hopefully will have really positive waves throughout several generations. Well, you know, there's that there's that phrase from the great Joe Hill, one of the founders of the IWW. He says, "Don't mourn, organize." <laughs> right? Mm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, well, um, what are some other ideas or things you want to talk about um, connected either with, to with your music or music therapy or even politics that you um, come up that you want to say now, or thoughts or reflections or anything? Yeah. Um, well, first, I want to thank you for having me on your show. I'm, I'm really appreciative of um, this opportunity, and this is such a neat, neat show, um, and so eclectic too. You know, you you mentioned that I was eclectic. You're. It sounds like you're very eclectic too. Which it's is an important. Great. <laughs> I understand that not everybody's into that. You know, but that's okay. Um, but- <laughs> Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, 
I think if there is any um, any last sort of thing that um, I'd impart is, I guess, kind of tying all of these things together, that music can be healing. It can also be organizing and can help people, you know, further um, further their activism. Um, it can also be a place where people can be their authentic selves, you know, if we think about neurodiversity and where people can be honored and, um, and in that space for who they are and what they bring to the table that maybe they're not safe to do so in other places. Um, and I think that that permeates all of the topics that we've discussed today. Um, and that's what, that's what brings me back to it all the time is mm-hmm. there's, there's never, you never like, you know, reach the pinnacle of like, of, you know, doing all that you can in music, you know, there's always, there's always more and there's always different ways that we can use music to, um, to better the world, to, um, to shed light on different parts of our world or to make the world more beautiful. There's a Kurt Vonnegut quote that I don't quite remember exactly how it goes at the moment, but it's something to the effect of um, no matter how um, horrible our government becomes, the music will still be wonderful. And I think that there's so much there um, in that statement that there's so much that music can do for us. Um, And sometimes... That leads me to the idea, of course, government doesn't have to be government. In other words, we, we, we're probably only at the beginning of imagining what government could be. That it, that, yeah. that it can't be, you know, reduced to simple formulas like political parties and nations and borders. and That the, it's mm-hmm. a lot more potential than, than those sometimes very narrow um, ways of framing it, right? So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm excited you're touring. So you're saying in February you're, you're performing. You already have uh, some gigs lined up and things in February. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we've we've got um, we perform very regularly in the Denver metro area. But yeah, we're leaving town to um, go to Durango, Colorado, which is pretty close to the Four Corners area, um, to uh, do some shows out there, which will be really fun. Um, to go to the Durango Hot Springs where they're entertainment for that weekend, which is pretty cool. Well, that's important that we get that out there so people can come hear you um, and, and hear your music. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> so um, I'd like to thank you for your generosity and, and time and talking about these things. And um, all good, even good things come to an end like this. But again, last... Uh, any last thoughts about music or art or politics or life that you want to leave our listeners, um, Anastasia? Yeah. Um, I guess, um, if you are creative, never stop creating. Um, if you don't necessarily identify as being a creative, maybe, um, maybe start to start to delve into some of that. Hobbyists are just as important you know, you don't have to be great at an art to start with for it to matter and for it to have a profound impact on your life. I think sometimes people get caught up in, you know, trying something and then it doesn't go super well at first and um, struggle with being a beginner. So I would encourage 
people to not be afraid of being a beginner, um, have creativity in your life, have music in your life. Um, I think that's what's going to get us through all of these things. Plus, it's stimulating for your brain. So um, the science says that if you are reading, engaging in art, if you're writing poetry, if you're engaging in music, um, that's really good for your brain and actually um, will delay um, the onset of dementia, for example, and it will delay other um, cognitive decline, which we all want to, right? right. <laughs> so if nothing else, do good things for your brain. Well, that's really beautifully put and important. And I'd like to thank you, Anastasia. And I, I hope our podcast uh, brings you uh, more listeners for what you create. And, thank you. Uh, and thank you for that. Thank you for being on our show tremendously. Yes, thank you. Have a good, have a good, good show in February. Shows in February. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. I don't like goodbyes, so I'll see you soon, folks. Thank you. Mm-hmm.